Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis. And today, as promised, now two-time recurring guest of the show, DeAndre Graves, to come talk about the world of motorsport. We're going to be discussing the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course doubleheader that NASCAR and IndyCar put on. A little bit more about the diversity of tracks NASCAR is exploring, why road courses are a little more chaotic, why they're fun, because for, you know, the first three hours of Sunday's race, it was a really damn good race until the curb popped up and screwed up a lot of drivers' day. That was a really good race, one of the better races I've watched all year. So, we got some car talk today, but before I get to the conversation with DeAndre, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. A couple ways you can do that. The easiest way is signal boosting on social media, whatever platform you see the podcast on. Throw it a bump, whether it's on Facebook and a share, a retweet on Twitter, a share on Instagram, a share on Snapchat, whatever. Wherever you see it, throw it a little signal boost, please. That stuff helps. Other people see it. More inclined to listen, that kind of thing. Next, you can subscribe to the show on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. The main ones are all there. Your Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher. The main ones were covered. If you're using Apple Podcasts because Apple controls the world, please do me a solid Leave the show a review. You go to the show's homepage. You scroll down to the bottom on the Apple Podcast app. There's going to be five clear purple stars. You want to hit the one furthest to the right. And then underneath that is a button with purple letters that says, write it a review. If you have two minutes, please leave a written review. Support your content creators. We're busting our asses out here. Now, talking about cars is always fun for me because I'm still kind of new to this and the novelty of the sport is still very fun. So when truly chaotic and wild things happen, it makes for a pleasurable viewing experience. I got to watch the end of the race on Sunday right before I left to go to the Met Dodger game, which was not exciting in the slightest bit, watching the Dodgers destroy the Mets. I talked about it on Monday's episode of the show, but the race was very fun. Road courses, NASCAR has put a lot of stock into over the last year or so, adding more to the calendar, going to different venues, especially with the Cup Series. There are a few on the Xfinity and Truck Series calendar that Cup did not run. So NASCAR branching out and trying to do different things like the Bristol Dirt Race, like all these other road courses that it hadn't done in years past, they're trying to be inventive. And It's in part because the car problems, the cars, the package that NASCAR runs, the combination of downforce and um, horsepower is not great for ovals. It makes it pretty hard to pass the car in front of you, even with the right draft and that kind of thing. So at the very least, I commend NASCAR for trying. And if it weren't for that curb popping up, this would have been one of the better races of the season. So with that as your little bit of appetizer, I will see you guys one second with the entree another chapter written into the indie history books aj allmendinger will cross the yard of bricks the winner of the first ever road course race for the cup series <laughs> and with that now two-time recurring guest how are we doing deontre oh, we're doing good i'm i'm rest resting from the long weekend i had um I was operating on pure adrenaline all weekend, and then it finally has hit me today. So we're resting up, getting ready for the rest of the week. 
So it's real interesting because last time I had you on, we were talking about you getting your job with NASCAR in the social media department and that you hadn't been able to go to a race yet because of the pandemic. And now you've been on track for work. How much better is it to be able to do your job in person as opposed to having to do it remotely? Um, It's amazing because just on the fact that um, I don't have to rely on somebody else to get what I need or what my team needs anymore. There's no more we hope we get this shot or we hope we get this video or this reaction is more of just going and getting it and getting it out for everybody to see. So that's been the biggest thing. Um, being able to get back to the track during this pandemic, hopefully we'll continue to be able to do that throughout the rest of the season in the playoffs because um, things are starting to ramp up um, with obviously with the pandemic again and with us going into the playoffs soon. Yeah, it's been a very weird season is the way I would describe the NASCAR season where it's gone through some very weird ebbs and flows where we started out with a very weird way with McDowell winning on a last lap wreck. We've had an enormous amount of road courses this season where we've had some weird results. We had dirt, which was interesting, but the thing that's really stood out to me is just how good Hendrick has been considering how rough their regular season was last year like I know that sounds weird to say about a team that had I think six regular season wins last year but not the same old Hendrick we'd come to know with the Jimmy Johnson Jeff Gordon era years but now they're firmly in contention to win every single race every single week one of the four drivers mostly it's been Kyle Larson but Chase has been around Byron's been around Bowman's been around how have you been taking in your first season fully in person, fully working it? How is it different in terms of how you would engage with it from purely a fan perspective? Um, well, my, my biggest thing is definitely just um, honestly keeping the fan goggles on. Um, when I post things or like when I put things together, I'm always like, what I as a fan like this or like, how, how would I perceive this if I wasn't like working for the sanctioning body or working for NASCAR? Um, so honestly, not much has changed in like how I consume it or like how I perceive it. It's just more of um, cleaning it up a little bit and making it look <laughs> nice and spiffy um, for, for the sanctioning body and for the company. So we're just not putting out um, bad content or putting out content that would not um, have NASCAR look in the best light. So gotcha, that's really gotcha. the only thing that's changed. So this past weekend, NASCAR did a double, not really a double header, but back-to-back days. They ran Saturday, Xfinity Series ran the same day as the IndyCar Series, and then Sunday we had Cup. So I know you are a big Indy Motor Speedway guy. Talk to me a bit about what Indianapolis Motor Speedway means to you as a fan, because you told me the first time you were on, that's kind of your forging ground, your frame of reference from when you were a real little kid. Yeah, I mean, growing up about 15 minutes away from the track, um, there was nothing to hear to cars from home um, or um, going to the track for every event they had. I mean, the first race I ever saw was at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was actually a Formula One race, but um, ever since then, I've been hooked um, just um, getting there for anything and everything that they had from Formula One to IndyCar to Red Bull Air Races, MotoGP, and then especially NASCAR. Um, every time NASCAR came into town, it was a priority like that weekend that I was going to spend my entire weekend at the track. Um, that place is extremely special to me. Um, it's where I fell in love with racing. It's where I um, kind of developed my fandom and developed um, the path that I'm on now in my career. So um, for the 
for them to have this weekend with um, two of the series that I thoroughly enjoy with IndyCar and NASCAR. It was great. You know, it's cool to see the guys interact. Um, I saw Daniel Suarez and um, Pato Awards pit during the weekend. I saw Ryan Hunter Ray um, with his family outside of Denny Hamlin's car before the race. Um, it was just cool to see the two worlds collide. It was it reminding me of, um, I don't know if you remember the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour, but it was that in the racing version. Um, <laughs> so I just, I had a ball all weekend and just, um, really felt was special to me to have that at my home track and to be representing NASCAR in that this weekend. So how did it make you feel that they went to the road course for cup as opposed to running the oval, which had historically been the Brickyard 400? Um, honestly, I, it didn't make a difference to me because, um, like some of the drivers said, Indy is Indy. Um, mm-hmm. I know some people were traditionalists and, um, are definitely like, man, um, we should have stayed on the oval or why aren't we running the oval? Um, but honestly, the stock cars aren't made for the oval. Um, and people have complained that the racing isn't great or blah, blah, blah. So they, NASCAR, um, being the progressive company that they are, they try to adjust. And so, um, we obviously ran the road course this year for cup, but they've run it for Xfinity last year and it was great. So, um, there's nothing wrong with experimenting or trying to put out a better product. So I don't know where we go from here. Um, I think the race was pretty solid um, <laughs> up until the calamity hit for the last few laps. But even then, um, it produced some action that people were still talking about today. So um, that's what you want as a company. That's what you want as a sport to for people to be talking about your product days after it's already happened. I mean, because those are still some of the images I have in my brain from being a little kid. The guys after you win, you get to go kiss the bricks. Tony Stewart climbing the fence after he won in 2005. Like, those are some of the iconic images of the sport that, like, even as a little kid, like, I wasn't that invested in NASCAR, but I remember them because they were such, you know, such striking images. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's what it's all about. That's what keeps, that retains the viewership, it retains the fans. Um those types of cornerstone moments that um, stick with you forever. I mean, I could tell you from watching Daytona races, Dale Jr. and Michael Waltrip in the infield, there's there's so many memories that um, keep you around in this sport. And I feel like just NASCAR switching to the road course may have brought more memories. We had Denny and Chase Briscoe after the race um, arguing. Yeah. We had AJ Allmendinger sprawled out on the bricks, like those types of moments were produced because of the race on Sunday. So I applaud NASCAR for taking the risk and um, kind of switching it up and going on the road course this weekend. For a minute, were you worried that was going to turn into Jeff Gordon and Brad Kozlowski for a half second while they were standing there? Or did it always seem kind of like, hey, man, what? come on now? In the back of my head, um, <laughs> I was worried because um, I had two cameras on me. One was strapped around my neck and the other was just bare in my hand with no strap. And then I had my phone. So I'm like, man, I hope they don't fight because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to hold this $3,000 camera in my hand without <laughs> dropping it. But um, just knowing who Denny and Chase are, I wasn't too worried that anybody would get to throw in haymakers. I was more worried about crew guys getting involved in starting yeah. to fight. But um, gladly enough, they just had a spirited debate and agreed to disagree. I mean, watching it live, I did not realize that Briscoe was 
black flagged for not stopping. Like I had to like process in my brain. I was like, wait a minute. He didn't stop going through the chicane when he was, he didn't go through pit lane. I was like, wait a minute. Why, why did he just cut across the entire portion of the grass there and nothing happened? I didn't realize till, you know, the race was over and they were talking about it as Elmendinger was coming around that, oh yeah, the race is over and Chase Briscoe doesn't win. It took me a minute to realize that because there was just so much going on those last few laps. Yeah. Um, it's one thing I tell people like, we're like, how was the race? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause like when you're <laughs> at the race, like how it's presenting, like what you see is totally different. And like, I was on pit road around the start finish line. I'm watching over Jumbotron. And so like, there's no commentary or any background yeah. on what's going on. So I saw, I saw them all going to one. And then I saw Briscoe go through the grass, but then he came out second and then he punted um, Hamlin. So I'm like, oh, man, he's going to win his race. But then he drove through the next turn, and I'm like, what's <laughs> going on? And the Almadine wins, but apparently he was penalized. And so he was trying to serve his penalty by parking in turn 10 and then resuming. And in those moments, I'm in a channel with all of my um, teammates, and they're like, no matter what, go to the 14 and the 11's pits and cover them. And so I'm on pit road and I see Chase Briscoe drive down the pits with one lap to go. And so I start running towards his car. So I'm thinking he's going to be done. They're parking him. But apparently it was a stop and go penalty and he comes back out. And so then I start walking back to um, find Denny. And then Denny drives to Briscoe's pit and I have to run all the way back down pit road. And I start tracking Denny from the start of pit road all the way to the end of pit road so he can find Chase Briscoe after the race. It was, it was a lot that happened in that two minutes and 50 seconds and I uh, had uh, had my cardio for the week. <laughs> That's one of the things I always, it, you forget, especially with racing is just the venues are enormous. And for you and people who do social media and who are doing photography and video work, it's a lot of work getting up and down, especially like you said, running up and down pit lane. And that's one of the little things you're not consciously thinking about when you see a video or a picture scrolling through your timeline. It's a very demanding job. Racetracks are very big places. Yeah, especially um, being this weekend at the world's biggest sporting venue. Um, yeah. Even though I had a golf cart, I think every day I was at the track, I burned like 1,200 calories. <laughs> it's a lot of work so we'll circle back around and we'll come back to talk about the cup race itself because that was a very good race for a while i do want to talk a little bit about the indie series and um the xfinity race so you said when i messaged you a couple weeks ago are you doing both are you going to try to get to the indie car race too and you said yeah but i'm going to do it for fun did you have fun honestly um i i had fun on friday when they had practice but then okay. Saturday, because the Xfinity race was right afterwards, I spent half of the IndyCar race prepping for the Xfinity race. So gotcha. I didn't even get out to like shoot or mess around with that until probably about 15 to go. But I still got some great shots and got to see the end of the race and um, got to see some action. Um, but with the Xfinity race being so close right after the IndyCar race, I couldn't really um, enjoy myself like I had planned to. Gotcha, gotcha. So if you had to explain the the nuances of IndyCar in a nutshell, obviously, so the basic, I know it's a spec series, so the cars are all very similar to each other. You Walk me through this like I'm five, because very, very minimal knowledge. Um, Like you said, it's a spec series where um, the cars are extremely close. They're 
certain things you could do to um, produce more speed in the cars in terms of aerodynamics and um, doing certain things with your engine to maximize the longevity of the power that you can produce. But um, series produces very close racing. They race um, majority road courses and street courses with a couple of ovals mixed in um, with one big oval um, known as the Indy 500. Yes. They have drivers from all around the world. Um, I think they have drivers representing 12 countries this year, but um, very worldly influence. Um, Trying to think what else, how do I ex explain Indy cars? It's how I tell people it's the mix of Formula One and NASCAR. And so everything. like if they had a baby? Yeah. So like, if, okay. If, you, if, if Formula One and NASCAR had a baby, any cars, what it is, it lies in the middle between those two. You have the open wheel, um, you have the open wheel style of Formula One, but you have the close racing of what NASCAR produces, but it's consistently close racing every week and you never know who's going to win. Yeah, no, I watched some of the Nashville race, what was that, a week or two ago, and that just pure on curiosity just to see, and the visuals were very cool, but they, they got to iron out some kinks with that. That that didn't totally work, but the road course race produced pretty good. I was entertained. I got to see something I'd never seen before because not watched a ton of IndyCar in my life, usually just Indy 500 and the occasional street race just out of curiosity, but very entertaining race, Will Power wins, and you mentioned it, you got... Xfinity was like 30 minutes, 40 minutes after that, that got rolling. So what's that like being at the track, you know, all that time? Um, well, the thing is, um, on that day, Xfinity had qualifying too. And yeah. you know, things before that, they had morning warm up for IndyCar. So I got to the track at 8 a.m., I think. Um, I left at probably around 8 p.m., but... It's just a, it's a long day. It's definitely a thing where you have to like pace yourself and like, remember, I'm going to be here for 12 hours. So let me not stand for all 12 hours. Um, yeah. So just like, um, like I said, I didn't shoot the IndyCar race till the end. It was a mix of me prepping for the Xfinity race and me trying to pace myself. Cause I know like what I, what I was there for was the Xfinity race that day. So I had to make sure that I was in, in the shape to be able to be on my feet during that race and move around and get what I need to be done because those days get long and your body will tell you to will sit you down if you don't sit down for yourself is your job any different cop versus xfinity in terms of the types of things you have to do or is it just kind of you're trying to get as much out about both as possible i will say for cup races we're, we're definitely like all out like yeah whatever whatever you have like push it out now like push it out um deep in detail um xfinity is more like we're capturing a big moment. Okay. Like big wrecks or battles for the lead, winners, stuff like that. But cup, like every single detail we try and like dig into and um, squeeze every every amount of juice out that we can. So now that we can kind of open it up and talk a bit about the larger picture about the race on Sunday, aside from the curb coming up, that was one of the more entertaining races of the entire season. Like, just purely from a viewing entertainment perspective, the first two stages were both very, very entertaining. You had the duel we thought we were going to get. We were going to get to see Kyle and Chase again on a road course to see who would win. And then disaster struck, calamity struck, and it really made things complicated. So the first question I have is, 
What do you do when you have an hour of yellow flags there, or an hour of red and yellow flags while you're working? Um, for me personally, um, I remember that first um, red flag where the big wreck was. Um, yeah. My first thought, we had somebody from .com there until he's doing editorial. So we looked at each other and we're like, um, I'm going to take you to the care center. So I, we hopped in a golf cart. I dropped him off. And then as I'm dropping him off, I see the car is getting towed back. So then I had to whip around and go to the garage area and get shots of all the cars that had wrecked and flip those back to my team so they could get them out. And um, people from .com can use those photos to put them for their stories and things of that nature. So just because there's no action on the track, I, my job was still going full blast and I didn't really have a chance to um, really rest during that time. I know some people like pit crew guys and other people in the media center are like, cool, they get to relax a little bit. But my job was just as intense as in those moments as it was when cars are on the track. Um, and then I remember the second red flag. Um, I actually did go back in the media center because um, – as soon as I heard that they, I heard over the radio that they were going to remove the curb, I was like, it's going to take a minute. So I went back in the media center and I sat for about 10, 15 minutes trying to pace myself <laughs> because I knew I was going to have to, no matter who was going to win that race, I was going to have to do a lot of footwork and moving and running to capture a moment. So I gave myself 10, 15 minutes to rest um, in anticipation for the finish. Generally speaking, are you just kind of floating around during a race or you were in a designated area or is it kind of some combination of the two? Um, for me personally, um, I'm not really, it's very rarely that I'm instructed to be anywhere um, during okay. the race. Obviously, um, when the race ends, you want to be in victory lane or you want to capture the burnout, stuff like that. But there's no like, hey, like we need you to be X, we need you to be Y, Z. Like it's more like, you know what we need you to get if you get anything else further like that's perfect but um yeah during races like i started my race on sunday in turn one um capture some photo and video and then i um, proceeded to move down the back straightaway in the s's and then i rotated over to the final turn going to the straightaway and then i actually drove outside of the track and got some shots and video and then drove back in and i came back in and sat for about 10 10 laps while I was um, turning over those photos and videos that I had taken for the first 30, um, 30 laps or so. And then I went back out and did the same rotation. So um, nobody was really coaching me or telling me what was needed. It was more um, instinctual, like, this is what I like, or this is what I think is cool. So let's get that and turn it over really quickly. There is something so beautifully chaotic about NASCAR going into turn one of a road course, because you really never know what is going to happen. Yeah, it was... Um, all weekend, like everybody, like the thing was, oh, they're gonna, somebody's gonna miss turn one, somebody's gonna wreck turn one. And like the entire weekend, nobody really missed turn one. Like I was kind of disappointed. I was like, man, I keep going out here thinking something's gonna happen. And they're all being professional race car drivers. Nobody's, nobody's messed up yet. And then um, at one point, Austin Cindric did miss turn one, but he was by himself and there was nobody like to wreck. So, um, it wasn't a huge moment to miss, but I was anticipating somebody just driving through the rest of the field, and it honestly didn't happen, and that's good for the drivers, but um, yeah, because of my job, it's a little disappointing. I mean, it was crazy at certain points. The restarts during the last stages of that race were pure chaos, where you'd have three or four wide going into turn one, everybody bumping and rubbing, and just... 
you really didn't know who was going to come out of the mix. And more than once, you were like, wow, nobody wrecked there, even though you got four wide going into a very narrow turn. Yeah, I remember, um, I think the second to last restart, Kurt Busch, like, took it three yeah. wide on the outside, and they all found a way to make it fit. And um, he made up some positions. Matt D made some positions up. Um, yeah. The only really restart that had some chaos was the last one, and Briscoe decided to just drive through the grass instead of wrecking the field, which is probably smart. And um, he ended up getting the raw end of the deal. But, yeah, most of those guys um, – they made it through without any um, issues. Uh, that just shows the talent the series has and um, yeah. how good they are to manipulate their cars in the tight spaces and not wreck. Anytime I watch a series, I'm like, yeah, if I do that, we're all dying. Like, if I, I can drive my car normally fine, but anything, like, anytime any car is even a little close to me, I'm like, all right, I got to be paying more attention than usual. I cannot fathom driving a car for a living. That sounds terrifying. Oh, no, just the car control these guys have in the yeah. trust that they have in themselves and the trust that they have um, in their fellow drivers is amazing. Like, I couldn't um, believe it. Yeah. So now that we've kind of touched our bases, I do want to touch on this specifically. NASCAR really went in on the road courses this year. I think they went up to seven or six for the season. When in seven. As recent, yeah, seven. And as recently as 2019, they only had two on the calendar. So the first thing I want to ask you before I give my opinion, do you think that trying all of this different these different things, because you had mentioned before when we were talking about oval racing, that NASCAR has kind of had a hard time finding the exact right mix for the aero package, do you think that trying the, the road courses is at least trying something creative, trying to solve your problem and not just pretending everything is fine? Or do you think that this is overcompensating for something that might not actually be a problem? Honestly, you just, um, you have to evolve or you're going to yeah. um, be extinct. And this is NASCAR evolving. Um, I don't know what the right mix is. I don't know if it's seven. I don't know if it's 10. I don't know if it's two, but, um, them trying to um, – them just trying to – trying something different is important. Um, you don't know until you try it, and NASCAR is trying it right now. I don't know what the future is of the schedule. I don't know um, if road courses are the move. I don't know if short tracks are the move. I don't know if us running Daytona and Talladega six times a year is the move. But um, you can't ever fault NASCAR for a lack of trying. And um, I will always be thankful for them trying and um, – them wanting to put the best product out so um for me personally the road courses are fun um they're a challenge because they're way bigger than your traditional mile and a half oval and it's a lot of footwork there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more skill that goes into capturing moments on road courses where there's 15 turns instead of four but um yeah i don't have a problem with us running seven road courses as long as as long as the on-track product is good then i can't complain playing if we run Pocono, there's a triangle, or we run a rectangular track. Um, it's all about the car <laughs> ultimately. Because I, one of the th elements I've enjoyed about the expansion of road courses is it could, it's not totally a leveling out of the field, but it makes your equipment a little bit less important. It allows more drivers to be competitive on a weekly basis, and it allows more drivers of a different skill set to be able to race competitively. Like Almondinger only running road courses on a part-time team, 
that's a cool speciality that you know that that's this guy's thing is he's really good at road courses and he could get himself a full-time seat hypothetically going forward if the schedule has this many road courses yeah um definitely i i i remember the days where we did run two road courses but those two road courses like i would be excited because i'm like man borset is running this weekend or ron fellows is running this weekend or andy lally like all those guys like they call them the road course ringers but like those guys would come run the, the cars that would run traditionally 30th to last every week. And then those cars would be in the top 10 just because they had so much skill and road course acumen that, that they would close that gap from a 35th place car to run them in the top 10. And that would make the year for some of those teams because they would make enough money to survive. So yeah. um, the road courses are important and it does close that gap because um, in oval racing, sometimes um, – well, not sometimes, but like the best car usually wins. It's, it's going to be the fastest car. Sometimes in road courses, it's not the fastest car. It's the most technically sound guy that keeps his car clean. So um, I like road course racing. It's pretty similar to me, like short track racing. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of finesse that goes into it. There's a lot of skill in there. There's a lot of um, beating and banging that goes into it. So um, it's something that you don't see at your Charlottes or your Kansases or tracks of that nature because um over racing just isn't made to produce that type of racing uh, i very much enjoyed i mean i still kind of am mad that coda ended in a monsoon because that was shaping up to be pretty entertaining i enjoy that track as a formula one person there's and the thing i'm enjoying is that it's just something new and yes the new sheen might wear off eventually but this is interesting like road america fourth of july weekend that was really cool that was enjoyable like yeah chase elliott won pretty comfortably but that was an interesting track because i'd never seen cup run it before the same thing with the road course this past weekend you'd never seen cup run it before so it was something new there was that element of unpredictability and yes they do kind nascar might have to adjust some of the things it does with road courses specifically because there are small things they could do to make it a little bit less chaotic i think the main thing i've seen a lot of people say is the local yellows which some of the other road course series that are you know have because it'll solve some of the problems because it is hard to be totally consistent because it's judgment at the end of the day what race control is doing so it's always going to be a decision it's not like all right maybe that's one of the things i would like to see though is a little bit more consistency with the local yellows and maybe something along those lines to help steady things out because there was one of the restarts there at the end where martin truex got spun around and they didn't stop the race because it wasn't impeding the race but you know 30 seconds later the rest of the field wrecks out because of the curb and i don't know if a local yellow would have helped there but i do think it's a tool that nascar could use for road courses yeah, um, it's definitely um, things that NASCAR probably plans on changing or looking at working on. Um, we're we're still working out the kinks. We we exactly we've run the same two road courses for forty years or so. So um, when you go to these new venues, you have to figure out what works and what doesn't. And I think um, this year is proof of that, where we're figuring out what works and what doesn't. And um, We'll get to the point where we might have local yellows or um, I know it's been talks um, about people wanting to get rid of the stage breaks at road courses because it, it um, affects the um, pitch strategy for different yeah. teams. and They um, want to level that off, but um, I'm not sure what the direction is on that, but I know that um, 
NASCAR will do what's best and they will definitely continue to look into things and try and figure out what works and what doesn't on these road courses. So now that we've kind of covered everything from this past weekend, how have you enjoyed the season so far? I know you're working a lot of the time. Uh, you're working while you're watching the race, but how have you enjoyed so far? Uh, it's, been, it's been a great season. Um, it's been very unpredictable. I mean, starting off with the season with Michael McDowell and Daytona 500, it's been, um, it's been unpredictable. It's, we've almost um, hit the part where we've had, I think, 15 different winners this season. And yeah. last year we had two guys win half of the season's races. So um, you just never know what you're going to get out of NASCAR. And um, it's been that. And then also we've been prepping for the next-gen car that's coming next yeah. season. So we've been doing a lot in preparation for that and unveiling that and um, kind of working on both ends while – pushing for this season and um, covering on a day-to-day for this. We're also getting ready for a new car and a new season and um, a new era in NASCAR. It's been, it's been a whirlwind for sure. I've, I've enjoyed every moment of it. and um, It's been a dream come true. I, I, yeah, I, I can't, it really is really, I mean, I think it was the first seven races of the season had a different winner and everybody was looking at each other and was like, are 16 different people going to win races and nobody going to be able to get into the playoffs on points. That's probably not going to happen. There's only a handful of races left here in the regular season, but like you said, anything is possible this year. We've seen people, I mean, Denny still doesn't have a win and Denny is one of the most consistent drivers in the entire sport. So Hopefully he can get his win and not have to worry about starting 15th or 16th in the points and trying to work his way in without a ton of playoff points to work with in that first round. Yeah. Um, he almost had it this weekend, obviously, but almost um, the playoffs will be interesting. Um, Kevin Harvick still not locked in. Did he actually did yeah. because Almondinger winning? He locked himself. Oh yeah. In. The math. Yeah. Yeah, mathematically, but Harvick's still not locked in, and he um had eight wins last year. And if some if people win the next two weeks that aren't Kevin Harvick, he might not be in the playoffs. Well, he won't be in the playoffs. So, and then um we have two teammates battling each other for the final spot right now in the playoffs, and they're battling capturing stage points. Both the RCR teams are um, yeah. going tick for tack and stage points and playoff points right now because they um. They're battling for the final spot, but that final spot could go away if somebody wins one of these next two weeks. And then it'll be really interesting to see who will be on that final cut line. So um, it's not over till it's over. Um, I I am enjoying the lead up into the playoffs, and I will be in Daytona for the cutoff race. And it'll be interesting to see if we get a surprise winner, if we get somebody um, who isn't in the playoffs in, they win the race and lock themselves in and kick somebody else out. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, last year's Summer Daytona race was one of the best races of the entire regular season. That was one of, because there were just so many long stretches of green flag racing where it really came down to the strategy and, all right, we got to go now. And then waiting for the right pack of cars to build up to be able to catch the field. I mean, at one point, there was a pack that was like 30 seconds off of the lead and they caught up to the leaders by the end of the race because it was such prolonged green track racing. And that's one of the things I know people who are proponents of this package that NASCAR has been running the last few years have argued is when the when it's long runs of green flag racing, it can shine. It's when it gets into that soggy middle of lots of yellows and it gets really hard to pass, it becomes a problem. 
Yeah, I mean, package aside, I just think um, right now the series is as close as it's been. I, as somebody who's watched his whole life, and I go back and watch old races, and people talk about how great or how bad or whatever the old races were. Um, guys used to run by 20 seconds, or guys yeah. be races where it'd be three cars left on the lead lap. Like, you never hear about that anymore. Um, yeah. The racing is close, and you have to be on point every lap, every race um, to win. It's hard to win in the Cup Series now. Like, you'll never see an era again where Jeff Gordon wins 13 races in a season. It's just the competition level is so just close now where um, guys are fighting for every inch, and you see that on all these restarts, no matter if it's yeah. um, road courses or – mile and a half or short tracks like these guys are battling for every position because it's so hard um to gain positions in this series and it's so hard to win i really am interested to see what happens because it seemed like for a while the final four was always the same four guys going into the playoffs it always seemed like it was mtj joey logano kozlowski and then either denny or Jimmy, or whoever in that final four. Now it kind of feels like it's a little bit more open to your point about it being more competitive than ever. It really does feel like anybody within that top eight or nine can get to that final four. And it also speaks to the different tracks they run in the playoffs, because in the playoffs, you have the Roval, you have a, a Bristol night race, you have some of these other things out there that make the field a little bit more competitive, and one person can't just dominate the field. And it seemed like that was going to happen last year, because like you had mentioned before, Denny and Harvick won all of those races in the regular season. And then when the playoffs came around, we got weird results. Chase drove himself into the Final Four winning some races, and you saw some weird things happen. And that's really going to make things interesting this year, because... It seems like Hendrick is really far ahead of everybody else, and at least in the regular season so far. But once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. Yeah, and um, engineering always catches up. Um, the competition always catches up because, just like yeah. you said, Danny and Harvick were dominating, and then all of a sudden Hendrick figures something out and produces some speed. Yeah. So um, you can't get comfortable going into these playoffs because – Teams might be holding back. They might be playing possum. They, <laughs> they might just be doing just enough to get in the playoffs and then they start throwing everything they have at these cars and um, different tricks and extra horsepower they're finding or extra um, aerodynamic advantages that they're finding that they don't want to show um, in the first 26 races, but they pull them out for when it's time to, time to win. And um, they do things like Chase Elliott did where they just did enough to get in, but then once they were in, they pulled out all the stops and they won themselves a championship. I know there are a lot of people who don't like the fact the way the playoffs are structured because they feel like it's unfair and it makes the regular season matter less. But at the same time, purely from a viewership fun standpoint, it's more fun. Is it fair? Not necessarily. I will concede that it's not entirely fair. But at the same time, this is an entertainment sport. This is supposed to be fun. Well, um, there's two sides to this. There's obviously the tradition side where for the first um, 55 years-ish, they ran um, and collects the most points from race one to the last race. And um, that was the champion. But then you start getting the scenarios where you had guys who were winning championships, but they didn't win races in a season or they won one race. And so 
Um, they want to get to a point where winning was rewarded because every week we watch to see who, won, who wins the race. And we've gotten moments over the years because of this system where winning was rewarded. And um, I don't know if it's entertaining or not entertaining, but NASCAR is doing a job of re rewarding its winners. And That's I don't think there's an issue with rewarding their winners. It's hard to win, man. It's really hard to win. And I think that's a good point about rewarding your winners because it is so difficult to win. Because, I mean, during a normal season field, about 50 total cars, including the one-off race cars, and you figure you usually get somewhere in the ballpark of 12 individual drivers who win a race because few people win multiples. You know, that's three-quarters of your field or so that doesn't win a race during the course of a season. And I think that speaks to just how difficult it really is. Yeah, it's definitely um, a hard thing to do. And um, it's very rare cases where, um, since we started the playoff system, where the champion um, wouldn't have won in overall points. I think there was a scenario with like Gordon in 07 and then like Harvick in like 2010 or 2011, where if um, there was no playoffs, he would have won a championship. But for the most part, the person who's won the championship has earned the most points. Um, overall regardless yeah before i get you out of here really really quick talk to me about your cubs deandre i feel bad Oz, i know we celebrate break black friday after thanksgiving but i had my black friday a couple weeks ago when we um, <laughs> fire sold anybody re resembling a major league baseball player um on the cubs I just kept getting alerts from the MLB app that people were getting traded and it just never stopped on that Friday. Uh, first it started with Rizzo going to the evil empire and then um, Javi, Javi going to your Mets and then KB going to the Giants. Like our whole nucleus just was gone except Wilson Contreras, that poor guy stuck um, in Chicago, left to die. Um, we traded Almora. We traded all our starting pitching, all our relief pitching. Um, I was watching a game a week ago, and I only person I knew was Wilson Contreras because they're all the guys who have been called up from the minor leagues or um, our other guys were hurt. I'm like, this is not the Cubs team that I fell in love with six years ago. Like, what's going on? So I'm trusting that um, – this will turn out well, but it's very hard when um, your billionaire owners don't want to pay your core guys. I feel bad, man. That Cubs, I, I still look back and I want, how did that Cubs team not win two or three World Series with all the talent it had? I mean, 2015, if they beat the Mets, they probably could have beat the Royals. 2017, they had a tough series, but they probably could have won that series and got to the World Series. It's just... Woulda, coulda, shoulda. It really does suck because that team was very likable. It was very fun. Rizzo, Bryant, they had Jason Hayward in 2015 play that key role. The pitching staff was incredible. It just feels like they left so much undone, so much unfinished. Yeah, it's definitely a, a what if scenario. Um, you definitely think about the years where, um, like 2015, where they lost to the Mets, but you think about the years where they lost to the Dodgers too and what, what could have been. Yeah. It, it hurts a little bit, but also um, that team did something that 100 and 
four other teams didn't do in franchise history, and they won a World Series. So it's it's a sad it's a sad time right now. But you look back and you're thankful that you were around to see them win it all at least once. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point of keeping it in perspective because you know, 108 years is a very long time. People, pe- that was multiple lifetimes of people who did not see the Cubs win a World Series. So, before I get you out of here, plug the work, man. Plug the socials. Get let people see your photography. I love yourself. Uh, well, personally, it's you could just follow me on my personal page, just my name, D O N T R E G R A V E S on all my socials, um, Facebook. Oh no, not Facebook. I don't get on Facebook. (laughs) If you add me on Facebook, but Twitter, Instagram, um, just, yeah, just my name. Um, I post my work on there and, um, it's good. Sometimes, sometimes it can be better, but, um, people enjoy it apparently. And I'm glad they do. Um, sometimes I post some behind the scenes stuff of, of work and some special stuff we work on. And, um, how it happens and what goes down. So just tune in that, but also follow NASCAR, follow at yeah. NASCAR. That's, that's where all the real stuff goes down um, from my day to day at work. And um, we're about to ramp up for the playoffs. I'll be in Daytona um, next weekend to cover the regular season finale. And it's probably going to be another good one. So um, definitely follow me for that. And there'll be some fire. Oh, admit the quality of, I got to say, of the four major sports leagues, NASCAR is on the outside of the four major leagues. They, You guys have the best social channels out of the four because the other ones don't take it seriously. The other ones don't use it as, like, entertainment. It's just transactions and interviews. Like, you guys are making an effort to engage with people, especially younger people. The SpongeBob memes always make me laugh. I, I, I'm 24 years old, but a SpongeBob meme will always make me laugh. Yeah, I mean, um, that's our job. We um, yeah. we try and we try and keep it light, but also we try and, like you said, um, we still try and cover a sport. Like Sunday, exactly. obviously, when we have moments of tense battling, we cover that as hard as we can yeah. and as uh, straightforward as we can. But also, like during the week, if there's a funny moment with the driver or there's a blooper, like. Um, there's a funny thing we could put on TikTok. Like we lean into that stuff because we realize that um, the younger fan base isn't just grasped by what happens on the track. They're grasped by um, the memes and the funny TikToks and the cool behind the scenes stuff, the scanner audio, et cetera. Like um, we definitely try and keep in mind of like, well, obviously with me being 24 and on the younger side, I try and like think how a 24 year old and younger thinks of, um, what we could do to like grasp the younger audience. Last question. I promise who is winning the championship this year, sir. This is obviously us talking out of our ass. There is an entire playoffs that has to happen in two regular season races to go. So gut feeling, who do you think is going to win? I think the main of beats Kyle Larson. I mean, he's yeah. every week. If he's not winning, he's in the conversation of winning and when you have a guy that consistent and that fast and he's finally in some equipment that like matches his driving ability, I think he's going to be really tough to beat. Now somebody, um, I feel like the only other person outside of Hendrick Motorsports that could beat him is Kyle Busch. Um, Mm -hmm. Hendrick Motorsports has been at the top all season, but the one thorn in their side um, at times has been Kyle Busch and he's pretty determined to um, stick it to him when it counts. So, 
I'll keep an eye on KB18. Kyle's a great troll. It's good for him that he leaned into being a troll instead of trying to be an actual bad guy. He's good at trolling. He is funny at being a dick. Yeah. Um, every sport needs a villain. And I think yeah. Kyle Busch being our villain is so important because he embraces it. Not all yeah. sports have people who embrace the villain role. And um, he does a great job in, of embracing it. He embraces it um, on the track, but he also embraces it on social media. He's very aware yeah. of how people feel about him and he leans into it and i personally appreciate that he does his job very well i'd like to thank deandre for stopping by we'll be back tomorrow we're going to be talking about the yankees who seem to have a pulse again so i will see you guys then i hope you guys enjoyed today's show